welcome to On It Radio, everyone. Faden, how's it going? Oh, it's going fantastic, Dale. How, Z Money. I'm, I'm so good. I'm welcoming Z Money. Thanks, Dale. It's good to be here. And special guest Jonah. Special guest. Wow. Of the utmost. Well, Extremely thank you. special. How are you? I'm uh, I'm really good. I'm really excited about the idea we've got here for a game club in the form of Onnit Radio. And uh, in this our inaugural clubbing, we played uh what what did we play there, Faden? Uh we played uh critically acclaimed MMORPG The Forgotten City. Ah, yes. From uh from developers Bethesda Games in the form <laughs> of mod for Skyrim. You know, I should we should probably look up one second. Uh, who actually developed this? <laughs> who actually developed the like Forgotten City? Modern narrative, modern uh, modern storyteller. Awesome, there you go. awesome game, modern storyteller. It sure was uh, a game that we played this month uh, in the official release form, not in the Skyrim mod. And nope. we're gonna do what we are gonna try and do with every beginning of this podcast: thirty second summaries. All right. What's what's what, what do we got here, Faden? Give okay. the people the answers. So here's what we're going to do, Dale. You're going to have 30 seconds to summarize the entire game. There may be okay. spoilers, depending on how he does it, everyone. On your mark. You got the clock ready? Yes, I do. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Forgotten City is all about time. It's all, What it's really about is religion. No, what it's really about is morality. And what it's really at its core, what it's truly about is walking around a city and telling Galerius to go do all, everything for you uh, at the end of the day. <laughs> it's a game about uh, exploring mysteries. The city is uh, trapped in a loop of uh, the, the golden rule, they've called it. And then live by the golden rule of do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Time. Which, unfortunately... Time, you're done. That's it. Oh, That's the Forgotten oh, City. <laughs> I think you did a decent job. I, I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's the game. Go play it. Uh, that's our podcast, folks. Yep. Spoilers <laughs> abound now. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to play the game without spoilers, uh, cut the podcast here. It's a fun time, but we're going to be talking all about it. You've got a pretty pretty stringently laid out itinerary here, Faden. Shall we dive right in? Yeah, we're going to break down every single character because we figured this is the best way to tell a story since the story is very much about these collection of weirdos and nut jobs. It is. It's, it's all about meeting and interacting with these characters. So first up is Aurelia. She is the tavern innkeeper, the, uh, the scheming woman who hits on you and never likes the fact that you hit on her back. It's really weird. She is uh, overt with her come ons come onances to the player character uh and honestly this is the person i interacted with the least i think i fell for her scheme once which is you ask her for a way out and she sells you poison and i think that was the extent of my interaction with that character what was Aurelia? You think uh, if 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 we're assuming that every character is a metaphor for something or to represent something, what is Aurelia? Well, I think in my personal opinion, she's just scheming. She's the schemer, the uh, way to break the rules without explicitly breaking the rules. All right. Yeah. I I, I got some hot research for 
for the pod. Aurelia is a feminine given name from the Latin family name Aurelius, which was derived from Aureus, meaning golden. Oh, (laughs) tie in. So the golden rule, the golden city, what I neglected to mention in that 30 second (laughs) plot breakdown. Uh, If anyone breaks the law, everyone in the city is is dead. They turn to statues of gold Mm -hmm. and are doomed to live out their days as such. How? How do they turn into statues of gold? We don't know until, which does happen in the game very, very eventfully, the golden rule is broken. The gold statues existing wake up and shoot you, and then you turn into a gold statue yourself, doomed to be subservient to upholding the golden rule. We're on a podcast. I brought my Thethorith. Thethorith today, can you tell? (laughs) I can tell. You're using the big words. (laughs) That's me, Dale Flashpoint. Big words, man. (laughs) One thing I think is interesting about Aurelia is, like, the testing of the golden rule and explicitly laying out, like, what things are permittable and what things are not, and apparently scheming permittable. Yeah, straight up swindling and stealing money from people through dishonest sales. That's cool. You can do that. That you doesn't do break that. the golden rule. Which that doesn't break the golden rule. I think it's something that you could say you learn early on because when you're talking to Galerius the first time you enter the loop, you're uh, maybe even before this, I can't remember exactly, but you're the game tells you when you're lying. And if you experiment with that, it I you know, doesn't punish you, right? Yep. Doesn't no. The game doesn't consider lying the sin. I guess maybe we should explicitly say what the golden rule is. Yeah, go don't murder people is essentially what it breaks down to. <laughs> just specifically murdering. what it is. Just murdering. Is there is there an instance so uh like disclosure, I mostly watched people play this game. I think I understand maybe sixty-five percent of a lot of the key stuff uh and have interacted with just like half of the characters. So I'm I'm almost watching this podcast in a way uh, maybe similar to audience members. But um, hmm. yeah, uh, is there a moment in the game where someone, maybe uh, Sentius says, like, this is exactly what the golden rule is? I don't recall. So what it is is that they don't know themselves. Like, all that is said about the golden rule is the many shall suffer the sins of the one. And that's it. That's the only rule that we have that these people need to navigate. And very early, you're allowed to ask the question of, well, what is a sin? And the guy in charge, Sentius, kind of outlines that, well, what is uh, what is not a sin? We uphold the greatest laws of Rome and the greatest laws of the gods. We live in extreme piety and the that veil comes down real quick as the more you play the game which is pretty fun like when you meet aurelia and find out oh yeah the laws of rome like swindle people mm-hmm. swindle them not a sin and that's good to know that makes me feel a lot better about all my previous actions in life yeah yeah you know in the grand scheme of things i've probably broken the golden rule a couple of times Maybe. Well, dark pasts, dark truths come out <laughs> on the pod, the podcast. So on to, on to Lulia, mm-hmm. who was a character that y- you saved the life of? 
Yes, she was the one that drank the hemlock poisoning of Aurelia. And so the first interaction with this person is actually another character asking you to help save them. Mm-hmm. I The first time, she just straight up died on me. Just bleep. I think I think I accidentally killed her a loop or two. <laughs> Probably three times. Mm-hmm. And like, really not much to say about Lulia, honestly. She just kind of lies there and... I guess she's the daughter of Malleus? No. Wait. Yes? Yes? I don't know. Maybe. She's one of the... <laughs> she's she's key to the plot puzzle, at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, we had to find... Oh, right. Because we had to... Uh... Rheumatism. No, no. She's not rheumatism. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> she's rheumatism adjacent. You know, sometimes you're always just rheumatism adjacent. That's this. <laughs> well said. Thank you. Thank you. I It's, you know, one of my famous quotes. Lilia and Opius are in love. And Opius is a character that you get to meet um, when you start to uh, when you start to scratch at the mystery of what uh, what this kind of ominous looking temple that looms at the precipice of the forgotten city the highest building and the highest peak once you go to investigate there you meet uh, the next two characters actually opius and octavia Mm -hmm. and they again kind of key to the puzzle in the grand scheme of it all but fairly minor characters uh both christians Oh, are they both cultists? Yeah, they're both cultists. <laughs> the game calls Christians cultists because most of it takes place in, it presents itself as contemporary Roman times. So you're talking to all of these Roman assholes about what it is they believe and the threat of Christianity and how it ruined their empire is still fresh on everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. Right after the burning of Rome, that neat. Neo. Neo? No, Nero. Nero? <laughs> Not Neo. Uh, the, chosen, Nero. the chosen emperor. The chosen emperor, right. He uh, blamed all the Christians for the fire. But, you know. Which, who wouldn't? I, I mean, it makes sense, totally. <laughs> I, mm, I'm going to shut my mouth before I say <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, anyway... Um, so we got Opus. Opus. He he. Thankfully, he can open up a pathway for you t- to see Malleus, Malleolus, <laughs> Malleolus. Yeah. <laughs> the first the first time you meet him, he does kindly open a path. Yes. In fact, he sacrifices himself to open this path. I mean, he just jumps off a hill, which we learn suicide does not break the golden rule. Which Octavia, Octavia was up there watching the whole thing unfold, wrought with grief, cannot believe her n- eyes. Her n- eyes do bear witness to uh, a, a horrible tragedy. Tragedy, But uh, yeah, the statues don't come to life as she was convinced they would. She doesn't know that's what happens when the golden rule is broken. But right. We do. We do. I kind of want to talk about Malleolus because Malleolus... This would be a good segue, since these two lead you there. I mean, who's, he, who's next he's in fun. the list, though? Uh, Dominus. Malleolus' uh-huh. ba- bodyguard, who's constantly getting jacked by doing push-ups. 
Yeah, yeah. That's all he ever does. <laughs> that's all he ever does. He's just out in the courtyard doing push-ups. You can hop on the guy. You can literally jump on his head, Mario his ass, and it doesn't break the golden rule. Thank God. Maybe he likes it. That could be the case. I never he doesn't thought like about getting that. stepped on. Does he have nope. any uh, any role to play in the larger story, or does he is he more of just a side character? He can break the golden rule. Oh right, he's yeah. one of the first persons to break the golden rule. If you're playing this game kind of passively, yeah, Melios will win the election against Centenius, and Dominus will just like try to murder Centenius and break the golden rule. At the behest of Maliolus. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, the thesaurus is strong today, folks. <laughs> I think it's interesting Maliolus just not believing in the golden rule at all. Because, you know, what evidence do they have it's even real? Yeah, other than all of the golden <laughs> statues that populate the city and turn their heads <laughs> as you walk by. <laughs> eh, eh. That's, that's nothing. They, you know... What statue doesn't turn its head as you walk by? I create my own truth. <laughs> Demidius also has a couple other important features in the story. I think he is the first character that is blamed for the uh, disappearance of Scintilla. So um, you have to kind of crack him before you can circle back to the, the true uh, meaning of her disappearance. And he is also... Uh, one of the voters uh, in the election cycle that I think under any circumstance, he will never change his vote for Maliolus. He is uh, a uh, loyal disciple to him, uh, which I think makes his character. Uh, I mean, he's, he's definitely hamming it up. His, his, his beefiness, his. <laughs> Domitus the, the beefy. The, <laughs> he's the gym rat of the, of the crew. <laughs> Um, but he also, yeah, he, he has principles in a very principled world about things that are totally unrelated to the golden rule. Um, so he's he's interesting. He doesn't like the monsters in the cistern. <laughs> Does he say that? He's a bit of a baby. Is he afraid of the monsters? As well. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you enter the cistern, he's like, hey, dude, don't go in there. For the love of God, it's scary. And I'm just like, I'll go in there. I ain't scared. Just a just kind of a weird guy, honestly. He he knows what he wants. He wants to get Jack, and he wants to vote for Maliolus so he can cur- kill someone. Like very simple. I've come to vote for Maliolus and do push-ups, and I've already <laughs> voted for Maliolus. <laughs> <laughs> I think next up we should talk about another swindler, Decius, the ultimate swindler. This guy's just a ripe asshole. <laughs> he's pretty fun, I think. He's the kind of asshole you love to laugh at. I think what I love the most about Dezius is his place in this world. So you're pretty quickly uh, drawn to... Uh, uh, you are uh, walking towards Sentius at the very beginning of the game, and your kind of first uh, experience in the world is this plaza with a lot of different characters. And I think Dezius, does he... Uh, at, at like the base level of the game, does he call you out and, and force you to converse with him uh, before you can converse with anybody else? Or as you're walking through that area, he's the only one who will forcibly uh, draw a conversation with you? 
I think so, because he's got his idea, right? He's got the pitch. Hey, come help me out with this thing. <laughs> and right next door is uh, Ayulia, or, or the uh, character who is dying due to his uh, swindling. They are mere meters apart, uh, with one wall separating them. Um, so Dezius is like, A, uh, they cast him almost perfectly. He's a voice that I think really deserves like a, like, like a bit of an applause here. I agree. He, he sounds like the, the biggest asshole on the cast, for sure. Uh, so it's very easy to get wrapped up in his, his uh, you know, his goings on very quickly. Uh, and, and he forcibly wants you to join him. Um, and of course, his character gets more interesting as the, the plot thickens with the sort of longer chain of events. Uh, I towards the I legitimately love the golden bow thing where he's like, here, let's just dress up your regular bow as like a golden bow and we'll just yeah. do a swap and that won't break the golden rule. I got we'll go- this gold leaf. It'll <laughs> work. You're, you're not stealing. You're just replacing with a worst version. I thought it was really interesting that once you're in the shrine of Diana and you like you're like, okay, well now what? He goes, well, turn the lights off. The gods can't see you stealing and they're not going to get mad. And so I carried that with me through the rest of the game, trying to turn off other lanterns and you cannot turn off any other lanterns. (laughs) You can commit any crime as long as it's dark. Yeah, so long as the gods can't see you, fucking have at it. (laughs) It's not like... In this whole arc of Decius, you are never in belief of what he's telling you. It is never, it is always with an air of, like, just, uh, you know, uh, pulling one over on you with every step. Yeah, when is the hat drop? Where's the scam? That's why it's so great when you can do it to him and just steal a whole bunch of money. Oh my god. That's a good moment. So Faden and I were playing this game kind of in tandem for a while, um, just on a Discord call playing at the same time. And at one point, I was doing something and Faden goes, oh, well, I just made five grand really easily. (laughs) And then I started talking to Decius and I was like, wait a minute, he wants to know how I got the gold bow. Wait a minute, he wants to pay for the information. And so I only went for like two grand or something. And he he falls for it hook, line, and sinker no matter how much you tell him you want for it. And so as soon as I got the two grand, I go, I should have asked for five grand. And, and Faden just goes, yeah, you should have. <laughs> you should. You always, always ask for more money, especially from, like, a schemer. Taste of their own medicine. I think we should actually skip over Georgius for right now and go to Naiva because she flows right into the Decius golden bow plotline. True. The woman in the palace. <laughs> the woman in the the invisible woman in the palace. And someone the who missing heard the voices. woman in the palace. Which I think is a good time to talk about like throughout the entire game you hear whispering from the golden statues in such a nice touch and you can't like they don't give you specific directions just saying like I'll help you listen to my voice but it's you quite never- vague. Yes, you never know if you can truly trust the voice that comes out of the statues. Yeah, because you've you've been thrown into this mysterious world of unknown origin, and things are now whispering at you. Of course, horror game tropes would have you go, no thanks. <laughs> no, but thank horror you. game, this is not. No. Until, I, I mean, honestly, the palace, kind of spooky. The palace was a little spooky. I, I'll, I'll submit that. 
Like, you have to go through and fight all those golden statue monsters, which we come to find out is her removing the golden parts off of skeletons. This Navia character. Yeah. <laughs> I think Peeling the, the metal the off. Gets. It is pretty... The operating table, the, the, the uh, restrained bodies on the table, uh, this is as dark as it gets about. Uh, and it is a very interesting left turn for a game that does, for the most part, keep the lights on and yeah. walk you through uh, very, uh, you know, ornate sort of areas that, that are very like thoughtfully considered. At this point in the game, you've almost gone full like Quake or some sort of early Unreal or some sort of early PC shooter with long corridors, <laughs> jump scares, um all the same enemy, basically. I mean, they do have some unique characteristics, but uh, I think some of them might take a couple extra hits. Um, but it is... It, I think it is the most jarring, like, mechanically uh, speaking, jarring area of the whole game. But also the payoff and using the golden bow. I think this is the first time that you're really... Uh, 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 you know, you, you've you've packed your you, you've armored up you you're, you've you've got your bow and you're actually going to go out and, and wreak some havoc the game mm-hmm. really uh, holds that as a carrot on the stick with the uh weaponry um i think there's also kind of an interesting point i don't know what character uh archetype you guys picked at the start um there is a character who has a gun is that right a, a version of the <laughs> yes. other character that is who right could uh, uh, easily go out about, out and about and shoot uh, willy-nilly. Uh, but if you didn't choose that archetype, uh, really the golden bow sort of uh, uh, is is where the shackles are, are lifted and you are kind of let loose. Um, but I think I picked to me, the, the version that can sprint, which just seemed smart at the time. I don't know. I'm oh not yeah. sure. I don't oh even yeah. remember what the four or, four or however many archetypes there are. Um, but a really interesting touch. One This moment hit really big uh, for, for the archetype that I picked. I um I chose the defense guy, the tough tough person. Um, out of the four archetypes, you can be a historical wizard and just read Latin and Sumerian. That will come up later. Or you could be fast guy. You can be a fast guy. Fast you guy wins. Beefy guy. That's what I chose. I think that's better. But I'm biased. And then you can be gun guy, which is probably the worst, honestly. Yeah, because you only get ten bullets, and I think that carries over loop to loop. I mean, it has to. But I I think the palace in the game feels the most like Skyrim to me. It feels like I'm like getting attacked by skeletons inside like a, a Nordic dungeon. In some ways, I don't know. Well, it was a Skyrim mod. It was a Skyrim mod. That's why I'm like, oh, this is this is the Skyrim mod. I am <laughs> here, shooting. Here bows. it is. Yep, here it this, is. This is the game that this game is built <laughs> from. Yep. <laughs> And they rebuilt it fairly competently too. It was I feel like the shooting was like decent enough. Like I, I got the blood yeah. pumping just a little bit. It's not it's not Quake. It's not Unreal. But like you know, it, it was. It's right. so simple. It was fun. It was it was all it needed to be uh, a kind of a kind of road bump, if you will, some friction for the game. Um, after that, you get the cure. For rheumatism. Rheumatism. A terrible <laughs> curse. You, you you get to go into the Shrine of Apollo, open up that box, and tell Lucretia, hey, I can cure some rheumatism. 
So here's the cool thing. In my playthrough of this game, you get to you're supposed to get to a point in this palace and you do get to a point and I did get to this point where there's a there's one of these peeled golden statues bound to this table sitting upright in a hallway just before like this shimmering pool and, and the statue looks at you and goes, "You be careful. She's right behind you." And I was I was startled and all of a sudden I turned around and <gasps> There was no one there. And I went, ha, 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 ooh, the game made me look. And then I happily <laughs> left the temple and was like, okay, that was fun. Cool, cool area. The, this character we've been talking about, Navia, is supposed to be there and is supposed to be right behind you and is supposed to stri- trigger all of this conversation and dialogue. So I had to, I had to enter in some god commands and uh, walk myself back into the palace. <clears throat> Fly. So I could cure rheumatism. <laughs> so you can cure rheumatism. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Lucretia. I think uh, she is just very simple, doesn't know how to do any medical science, but unfortunately is shackled to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> what a life to live. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do, what everyone expects me to do. Yeah, I, I find just like her just like struggling and taking any help she can get. I don't know. I find it relatable true but she really doesn't have too much let's talk about uh georgius <laughs> real quick georgius 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 great guy the, the greek georgius <laughs> he just likes He's... you because you're a traveler like him yeah he relates to the uh the adventure of it all speaking of the adventure of it all one of the main themes of this game is getting to know how these people ended up here in this city mm-hmm. like you did and uh it starts out with this interesting encounter on a river and then you start to talk to other people in the city and georges himself even says that you know he kind of he woke up on a river too and some similar themes start to come out wasn't there one character that did not yeah a few of them couldn't remember couldn't remember which another another kind yeah. of theme of memory loss. Yeah, but Georges is like the most open of that information, and so like you kind of kind of get some background going on there. I yeah. like his voice; it's very nice. He is soothing. He's just so friendly. Should we talk about the prisoner Dooley? Oh, poor Dooley! Another poor another Dooley. truly friendly character. Mm-hmm. Dooley's interesting. I, I would say that uh, he. His sections in the game are um, some of the more interesting to me. How so? I think that uh, he he's a pretty sympathetic character, and that the uh, um, the kind of conflict between him and Sentius early on it makes for I guess some uh, interesting. Um, conflicts with the themes uh, and like the idea of the golden rule and um, the the treatment of Dooley versus uh, like the justification um, that, that Sentius provides um, and how it's a certain kind of like legalist perspective that seems to abide by the golden rule. But um, you know, I think you can make many arguments that it's um, it's not right. Though not a sin nope. in in the eyes of this game, Sentius yeah. has decreed that Dooley stay imprisoned because 
Dooley might break the golden rule. Dooley is, uh, well. I mean, it's like the American justice system. You can just right. be jailed for a crime and it's completely considered fine. And and Dooley has or not even to this jailed point for a preemptive no crime. <laughs> yeah, Dooley, interesting character, but my thing is like he kind of plays like in a weird stereotype towards people with like mental disabilities that I think is just kind of weird, in my opinion. I agree with you. I think that like some of the handling infantile. could be could be a little uh, more nuanced, or I guess uh, less uh, tropish, or like a character. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. fact that it kind of acts like just like a child, just really weird. In in the, his character's not truly believable in that way, and he definitely like his obsession with uh, a golden treasure and money is like kind of part of his shtick. Um, I was just looking on the wiki about this character because of the the sort of potentially uh inconsiderate just portrayal of like mental disability uh the game apparently pretty directly doesn't address what his disability would be kind of expects uh the player and the other characters to sort of pick up on it latently um which i thought was interesting um but i thought that the concept of someone who uh someone who kind of has this sort of one-track mind is kind of freed from the golden rule in a way um, and being free from this sort of uh, uh, restrictions that the Golden Rule has, uh, he kind of follows his vices, um, which is really interesting in that it, it, he kind of is enlightened in a way, but also uh, is imprisoned because of it. And uh, I think one of the funnier moments of the game is uh, when you manage to free him from his imprisonment, uh, which goes back to the character of Galerius and electing him uh, as opposed to Sentius or Meliolus, um, uh, he immediately uh, breaks the golden rule right in front of your eyes in a way that you can't control. Uh, I believe it gives you the classic, Dooley is busy as he walks slowly <laughs> towards a cart and steals something immediately in front of his cell. So yep. it's definitely tongue-in-cheek, Um I think there were perhaps some ways they could have more delicately portrayed the character. Um, But I think that's kind of what they were going for is that you don't necessarily need to know what you need to know is that he's living by his own rules. Um, There, there are probably about a hundred different ways that that could have been written and may have been a little bit less problematic, but um, all in all, like if you take it as the, the sort of tongue in cheek thing that they were trying to do with a very, uh, you know, uh, one one-sided character a very flat character uh i got a decent laugh out of it yeah i like for me it's just like the use of like the man child tropes and that we just constantly see in media like are automatically signals things i have seen before but like there's a lot there to dooley that like really does work like dooley's just like a great person and like hijinks which i think if we're talking about hijinks we really need to talk about fabia and the assassin uh, oh my god <laughs> yes this is the first time you get really get to have fun start playing with the time loop the first time i ever encountered fabia i had accidentally killed her by letting her go into the shrine that says please do not enter can collapse at any moment and it collapses right on her and this poor woman is crushed poor woman and and she was just trying to alert us of this intruder assassin yes 
This assassin who is threatening to break the golden rule because he's hunting Christians. And in fact, after I did the same thing that Faden did, leading Fabia to her demise on accident, I got into the conversation with this assassin and <laughs> was too sassy. And the, the assassin killed me, breaking the golden oh. rule. <laughs> I think really? That's what happened the first yep. time that I saw the assassin is that I knew I knew I couldn't do anything, and then I just then I just got trampled. <laughs> I got shot. That's interesting. The first time I talked to assassin, I was able to like lead him straight into the thing. I think. Oh uh, no! Wait, I, hadn't I played that. really dumb. <laughs> that's what I yeah. did. I played really dumb, and he was like, "You don't know anything, do you?" I'm like, "No, not really." <laughs> and he just kind of walked away. <laughs> That works when confronted with a mm-hmm. zealot. Zealot I just, hunting zealot. His voice I really like. It feels like that's a brotherhood. That's a brotherhood character from fucking <laughs> Skyrim. You're probably not wrong. No. And I really do like, at first it's like, okay, is there actually this uh, uh, Quintus in the Forgotten City? Quintius. Like, Quintius. Oh God! These Quinctius, Twinkius. Okay, so is is Twinkius really here? And for the longest time, I just thought, oh, you know, it's it's Nero. He's being a he's being a weirdo. He he thinks someone's here. They're not. When Malleolus is revealed to be Quintius, I'm like, damn! I should tell the assassin to kill him, but that will break the golden rule. Yeah, I tried to do that too. I tried to lead the assassin right to him, and then immediately was like, wait, no. Bad idea. <laughs> no, Assassin's good. I um, I want to talk about two characters, though, that I have opinions on. Virgil and Rufius. The gays. Is that your opinion? I mean, that is my opinion. <laughs> okay, no, my actual opinion on Virgil is I've seen... Oh, here, what did I write in my notes when I first saw him? Oh, yeah. 50% of all gay clubs are filled with guys that look like him. <laughs> so when he was like, you know, they say I'm a sinner because I like to have sex with men. I'm like, no, I I, I got that. I pegged you as that right away. Wait, was Virgil an actual gay stereotype based on an actual gay stereotype? <laughs> yeah. Virgil is very much a gay stereotype that I have legitimately seen everywhere. And so is Rufius because he rejects his homosexuality by being homophobic. Classic. Oh, yeah. Classic. But it's just that rheumatism. That rheumatism really gets to you. Once that rheumatism goes away, though, he can use his hands again and can be a true lover. A true lover. I actually like Rufius' voice actor because he is just constantly angry and unhappy. <laughs> you probably have fun with those kind of roles. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Was most of the dialogue I got out of Rufius. <laughs> <sighs> I mean... I really don't have much to say about these two at this moment, but that's it. I just wanted to peg them for what they are. <laughs> just like the uh, typical <laughs> typical gay and uh, closeted gay, but hates gays, but doesn't actually, just needs to cure something about his life. It's tropes. Yeah. Did, did you find the stereotypes to be a bit uh, tedious or disappointing, or did you think that they were a welcome part of the game a game that takes itself not seriously all the time and clearly is trying to i think 
balance some light humor with uh, its kind of, um, I guess, you know, more philosophical themes. Like, that's kind of like hard, hard to describe because it is interesting. Harassment doesn't break the golden rule as Rufius is constantly graffitiing Virgil's shop. But like, I don't know, it's just kind of a okay trope. I guess it's better that it's there, but I also want more. <laughs> yeah, I can, I'm glad. I can see I'm that. glad it's there, but I want them to do better. Just do better. That's it. That's my simple advice for everyone. Just do better. You know, easy. So easy, right? <laughs> Just be excellent. Should we get into like the bulky characters, like Horatius? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> he's bulky he's physically bulky he's physically bulky i don't think i talked to horatius very much at all i hardly did too he was very boring and he's just a ride or die centillus guy or centius guy true true centius fan okay that's it he's like centius's personal guard right that's really it it's just centius's ride or die yeah centilla the Not offspring centilla. of centius uh centia an offspring of Sentius. <laughs> another, another one. Sentius is the about... optional one, right? Mm-hmm. She's yeah. the one that's lounging around on the couch. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So she... <laughs> I, I did a little uh, verbal interrogation and kind of <laughs> accused her of the disappearance of her sister, Centilla. I mean, she's lounging funny. on the couch. She looks so relaxed. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little off. And, I don't know, she was always funny to me. I mean, she just is, like, the typical aristocracy, like, spoiled child of the politician. But, man, does she hate you if you accuse her of shit. <laughs> she gets mad real fast, and that was pretty funny. And, okay. uh, she also doesn't really, uh, present much concern at the fact mm. that her sister's gone, which was, at first, a little misleading, truthfully. Yeah, I, I like that little red herring misdirect. Both Sentius and Scintilla being so here and there about the disappearance. I mean, it's really the only thing that makes that plot point have any intrigue. And I think that's kind of clever writing as we later find out wh why and how and who imprisoned Scintilla. Uh, mm -hmm. And they try to shake you off them pretty pretty deliberately mm -hmm. i think we should get into the thick of the mystery and talk about equita and what you discover with her yeah after after meeting some of these previous lesser characters equita acting as the priestess is sort of a, a home base that the game encourages you to bounce ideas off of and start to ask questions about, you know, what the nature of the loop and what you are, where you are, and who done it, how done it, where done it. <laughs> and she comes to the uh, correct conclusion. The river. Uh, the river. What's, what's this figure that everyone's met by the river? And quite literally, almost everyone has a story of being pulled out of a river by some hooded figure. And through putting together these key pieces... And a fun moment at the beginning, if you question the person that pulls you out of the river enough, you can ask them their name and 
the person introduces themselves as Karen, pulling you out of a river, putting you into a seemingly hellish loop. So strange. Have you put it together, gentle (laughs) listener? Have you gathered the, the Greek pieces of this wonderful ferryman riddle? (laughs) <laughs> I, I really sail do away like the... <laughs> on the wings of Charon lead me to a distant shore leave it to Symphony X to write really good music about Greek mythology, shout out <laughs> you know, quick shout out they need it from us they, need they do, boosted. progressive metal is in dire straits folks, people aren't going to metal shows anymore, it's a global pandemic, that's why But um, <laughs> well, yeah, before like... that before that they were in dire straits <laughs> Yeah, not doing any better. They're not doing well either. They're in dire straits. I I really like the scene in the Roman bath where you have to like look down and see like, oh, this Roman bath shows, you know, Charon and we're all in the <laughs> underworld. And Equita's like, wait, we can't really see. And you're like, oop, flashlight. Boop. <laughs> I I love that everyone like if you shine a flashlight on them they're just like oh my god what a wondrous torch you have is it a trick from the gods <laughs> Apollo be damned <laughs> that was a fun reveal I uh, I feel like I kind of called that one a little bit <laughs> because I got the interaction with the ferryman learning the name Karen and I thought hmm, hmm <laughs> I didn't get that convenient. at all. There's some fun I, moments in this game. It was made in it came out in 21, the the official uh release. Yeah, I think December. There's some fun dialogue options. Uh for example, when oh. interacting with Karen, I got to say when she said, "Oh, most people don't react well when I tell them that's my name." The dialogue option was, "Oh, probably because of all of those Karen memes, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one dialogue option where it was just like, are you able to like survive all of this? I'm like, don't worry. I survived a pandemic. I'm I like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know where I land on games referencing COVID yet. It's reality. Here we are. Here we are. We should talk about a real one, though. Like the realest of ones. The realest of ones. I fucking love Galerius. <laughs> I started a Divinity Original Sin 2 character named Galerius because I fucking love Galerius. I'm going to play him as a true good guy because Galerius is a true good guy. Galerius is the first person you meet once this time loop begins. Yeah, and he just gives you the rundown. He is the most helpful. Okay, I just, out of every single time loop game I've ever played in my life, there has never been anyone like Galerius who... Is just so willing to help out that you can just give them a laundry list of commands. <laughs> and they're like, well, that sounds reasonable. Let me do it for you. Galerius is a living equivalent of the ship's log in Outer Wilds. Yes. But like living and real human beings, so even more helpful. Mm. So Galerius is kind of both a tutorial, but also like this, this uh, unassuming farmer character. So the fact that he becomes so helpful throughout the game and does like perform like mechanics like within the game essentially uh he runs errands for you once you've figured out various time loop uh shenanigans. 
which becomes very helpful in saving you time as a player. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Outer Wilds because I'm playing through Outer Wilds right now, and this feeling that every time I start from square one and I don't have that little bit of help that Galerius provided every single time, <laughs> I'm a little bit spoiled. He spoiled me it. on time loop games. Yeah, Galerius is just so uniquely helpful that I've just never seen anything like it before. And the writers for this character have done something so amazing. He starts out being the tutorial guy. You're literally learning you know, uh, about the world and where to go and what's happening in the world around you between him and Sentius. Um, and Galerius mm-hmm, ends up mm-hmm. being more helpful down the line as you, Always. as you sort of discard Sentius in his like uh, nefarious role. Um, it's like they, they, they figured out how to make the section of games that people hate the most, the section or the character that people like the best. It's like, it's such a parrot. It, it is a, not, not a, a time paradox. Like the game wants you to, to correct or to, to enact, but to create, like yeah. mechanically, like they figured out a way to, and he's also got a great voice. He doesn't come off as annoying. Um, and they very carefully, uh, 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 you know, gave him just these really delicate lines saying, how do you know all this? Well, I trust you anyways. Uh, you know, something akin to that, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, disarms the sort of fourth wall breaking or the, uh, you know, narrative, like pulling against those, those, those things that are at odds, like this idea that he's never seen you before, um, it's it's definitely cheeky. It's probably one of the cheekiest parts of the whole game, but it's a game that respects your time. It doesn't force you to go back and reenact everything that you've done before. So like for as much as it as it pulls at like, you know, the realistic nature of a time loop and it it, it makes up for it in being just, you know, super helpful and he's also like a pretty uh moral centric character, kind of like um lawful yeah. good lawful good chaotic good even Um, and i mean we were just so we were watching the the finale of the game and you had uh last night when we were watching uh dale playing and the way he just books it to his (laughs) thing he he runs like he his life depends on it and he's just like the wind galerius (laughs) there are not many characters who will you know put themselves who will go through that kind of strenuous sort of work but he does every time it he, he is the true homie he's, he's the best i love following him and watching him like my favorite thing to watch him do is to de-escalate the assassin situation i <laughs> know i've never watched him do it it's really good he just comes up to the assassin the assassin does his proclamation shit and galerius is like doesn't matter here's what you need to know <laughs> and the assassin's like Oh, okay. I'll, I'll I'll work with you. You seem reasonable, pretty much. <laughs> I've been researching. I've been researching some of these names, and uh, some of them are named after former Roman emperors, and that's the case for Galerius. And an interesting note in his Wikipedia page is it says, although he was a staunch opponent of Christianity, Galerius ended the Diocletian. Diocletianic persecution? I, I don't know how to pronounce that. When he issued an edict of toleration in 311. Oh. Oh. So so he, he was, if there's a, 
a basis in this real world emperor historical figure for Galerius in the game. He's known for tolerating tolerating the cultists. That's actually Those really interesting. Cultists. <laughs> I like Galerius's in love with Equita. Yeah, that's a good plot point. That was kind of fun. Um, it's cute. Definitely did not take me as long to get the flower as I thought it might. <laughs> a little bit of a jumping puzzle there. That flower I was spent annoying. way too long on that. I don't know why I was so hopelessly bad at it. It took me way longer than it needed to. Same. So I think we should move on to a really uh, surprising character I was not expecting. <laughs> Hermit philosopher, Philip. <laughs> Philip! <laughs> I still don't know if I loved or hated Philip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's just a weird, like, all right, here's our philosophy major speaking to us <laughs> moment. R slash I am very smart. <laughs> I mean, he has such a great function for the end of the game. Will you have a Socratic dialogue with me? <laughs> Please, I've been craving a Socratic dialogue. What does that even mean? Anyway. <laughs> I, I crave a Socratic dialogue as much as, I, as much as I need to eat lunch every day. I just, I just need to have it. I can't go without it. I've been talking to this mirror myself for the longest of time, and it doesn't <laughs> please talk to me. I, I do like that he's just like so hidden that nobody knows he exists. Yeah, yeah, he figured out how to avoid getting murked when the golden rule is broken. And he t- straight up is like, yeah, I've had enough food and I've survived a couple of loops now. Uh, uh, being different from our time loop that the player character is going through, loops of the golden rule being broken and the population being reset. But he leads us straight into uh, Kabash, who, this is when I really, like, was starting to enjoy the game. Yes. Like, philosophically, with yes. the uh, introduction of gods that have been the same but changed over time yes into different forms and him wrestling with the concept of like are my gods real even though they are a reincarnation of other gods that is so good so and good the answer is yeah of course they're real they of course they're you. real you believe it yeah like it doesn't matter if they're physically real or physically original like it doesn't matter that jesus is basically dionysus all that matters is what you believe and how you apply that to your life. I was able to talk him down the first time perfectly. <laughs> I did not. He killed me and I had to I had to reload a save point. <laughs> just marked you? Yep, just marked me. But th- that was such a fun moment of him finding this tablet and and when the game starts to tell you about these tablets, it says there's four. There's one from Rome, there's one from Greece, there's one from Egypt, and there's one we can't decipher. We don't know all about it. It's weird. And I thought in the back of my head, I was like, where? That's what? Hmm. And I was really confused. I was like, what could it be? And Kabash has found it. He's got the tablet. And it's Meso- Mesopotamia. It's Sumeria. This, the god of death and demise, Nurgle. And I was just like, oh, yeah, history. This game's cool. (laughs) And one of the really cool parts about meeting him and his sort. So at this point, Galerius Galerius is running tasks for us. The game is pretty darn self-aware. It's no longer a forgotten city. It's the self-aware city. 
Like this is yeah. one of those key moments where that sort of uh, awareness like impacts the story in a really positive way um, and is a little bit less, you know, jarring than Galerius. And it, it, the the way that, so you've, you've talked with the philosopher and you're actually like digging down deeper, deeper than any other like physical space in the city now. So not only is his like uh, uh, philosophical and sort of, uh, uh, you know, struggle here where he's trying to to make heads or tails of, you know, being built over literally these, this is a part of the city that has been physically built over, you know, it, you, and you are uncovering it as you are navigating down. This also has some of those light horror elements too, where you're, you're under pursuit. Um, and I think at this point you might also have a golden ball. I can't remember if this is one of the areas where you're where you're in an action sequence. I think there were yeah, there were some away. zombs, some some skelly whatevers coming after you. Was there? I think there were in the underworld. There were very I... few though, and it was just it was very easy for me to pick them off. Okay, I could I could not remember. Yeah, th- th- this area of the game is really cool too, and as we get you know, going towards the end of the game, we're going to start to see that architecture and the the design of the spaces plays into one really cool little payoff at the you know, at the finale. Yeah, uh, the finale. And this is really the the when you start to see the you know juxtaposition of the different uh, like architectural designs and styles. Let's 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 start getting into that finale. There are four. There are four distinct finales. Well, specifically, let's start talking about Scintilla and how you found her. Yeah. So, so one of the finales comes about, this is the bad ending, so to say. Sentius will even tell you outright. He's like, yo, if you kill me, I can't do the ritual. And then you've created a time paradox. You'll be sucked back to your whatever, your time, your reality. Snake, you've created a time paradox. <laughs> and you can do that. And it's straight up the bad ending. The The guy that you meet at the beginning who is uh oh we forgot to talk about al minor character al <laughs> i think we can talk about al in a little bit here okay well anyway <laughs> al's uh, fun. it gives you the bad ending basically al accuses you of being a murderer and you're like why would you do that you terrible human and then you can get endings two and three which come into play when you discover centilla after having elected Galerius to the Senate, which another key part of Galerius running around and doing those missions for you, he's the one doing them. The people form these bonds with Galerius and realize, oh, this guy's good. This guy's helpful. And thus, when you get him to propose himself as an electorate, as as a candidate, they spring for him. They're like, yeah. You can really easily get the majority for Galerius by having him do those tasks and create those bonds with those characters, which I thought was awesome. They're using the tool, the time-saving tool, as a part of the puzzle. And so after he's elected, he frees Dooley, and Dooley gives you a key to the cistern, which is a way out? Question mark? No, yeah. it's, it's a prison. Yep. See, I got there differently. How did I you didn't, get there? I didn't need to free Dooley. So if you look at the cistern, you can notice that the vines are there. If you shoot them with the golden bow, you can turn those into vines. So I was able to climb up in the hole all the way up to the cistern and oh. find Scintilla there. Way before I even figured out how to uh, free Dooley. 
No kidding. Mm-hmm. That's how you got ending two, probably, yep. right? Yep, that's how I got ending two, but I completely missed ending three. That's that's pretty silly. Yeah, so Scintilla was stolen by Satanius. And imprisoned in this cistern. Mm-hmm. And that's where we come to learn that, like, the gods, they favor Sentius. Because you would think that this act of imprisoning someone and keeping them in chains is clearly going to break the golden rule. But it doesn't. And you are left with the question of why? What? <laughs> Which I and guess that- brings us to, a, like, basically our main bad guy for the, the game. Sentius, right? Sentius. Number one bad man. Number one, number well, like number two baddie, but like our personal baddie. Our personal baddie. There's a fun reveal when you interact with Scintilla. Uh, Sentius has a moment for a monologue and, and reveals to the player character that he too preserves his memories through these time loops. And knew all from the get-go that you were bound to fail at this task. And here he has finally caught you. You're going to break the golden rule. It's going to loop all over. And ha 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 ha. Boo (laughs) on you. (laughs) Then he gets set on fire. Yeah, yeah. Then he gets set on fire. And uh, Scintilla gets some sweet, sweet revenge. It's a nice moment. She just like sneaks up on him. Like, out of nowhere. It's funny. The limitations of the engine make it pretty funny. It's just like a character model that pops up. I think it's interesting that they stuck to the Skyrim form of uh, dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They really (laughs) went all in. The character face gets zoomed in on, and then you have the dialogue options. I don't know. Sometimes you get funny moments like that, where Scintilla just teleports behind him and then sets (laughs) him on fire. Nothing personnel, Sentius. (laughs) Did you ever, like, find out that Sentius is reliving the loop and talk to him about it? And then he's just, like, smug the entire time? And he no. will never. Yeah, no, it's great. So you can do a state where you uh, figure out that Sentius is looping all over again. Mm-hmm. And you can tell Sentius that, like, hey, I'm aware of what you're doing. And then he'll say, well, you know, you're an idiot. And I no longer want to play with you. Just get the hell out of my villa. <laughs> I'm not playing with you anymore. And then I sold Cent- uh, Sentia, the sister of Scintilla. Hey, your father's keeping uh, Scintilla prisoner. And Sentia's like, Father, are you keeping our sister, pris- my sister prisoner? And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. It's really funny. But here, watch this. I'm going to kill you. And then the golden rule breaks, and then he goes and loops himself. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That is so cool, and I totally missed that. Yeah, I thought That's that was just hilarious. a really funny thing. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> because threatening... The sins of the many. <laughs> threatening does break the golden rule. That's so funny. <laughs> I like some sentience. clever moments in this game. Yeah, yeah, Sentius is good. We forgot to talk about another key character, uh, uh, the the crazy lady, who also oh, knows yes. the secret. Speaking yes. of people who knows the secret. What Lucretia? Lucia? Lucerna? No. Livia? Livia. It was Livia. Yes. I love telling her, hey, you're right, 
and then she just feels validated. And I'm she like, feels I, so much validation. It's a cool moment because everyone has just been like, whoa, this lady's gone f- off her rocker. We can't even find the rocker anymore. That's how far off of it she is. Uh, but no, she's she's dead on the money. You're in the underworld. You're in hell. You're imprisoned in this place beyond a life. And it's not that uh, not that great at all the times. No. And they were all brought by Karan. Let's just loop around and talk about Karan, Karate, Karan. <laughs> yeah. Whatever Great. their name is. That was a fun that was a fun character moment. I felt a lot of uh pride in myself as a narrative consumer for having totally called it. <laughs> I um I love how unassuming she is until like you go back after you talk to Al and say, Hey, I'll I'll meet you I'll meet you at the boat. And I was like, Okay, I'm gonna just board up this temple so nobody ever gets lost in the city again. Yeah. And then Karan comes out and's like, Hey, I know you're Karan and then her eyes just completely turn into molten balls. Evil eyes or something. Some kinda yeah, nebula, evil eye and, and the voice gets that nice echo filter on it. Mm-hmm. And just complete mask off. And then you can find out how you died. Which I think is different depending on which of the starting uh, bonuses you select. Jonah and Dale, you were both uh, uh, the sprinters. Yes. And and so we got the we get to find out that we were killed in a getaway. The cops caught up to us, and justice was served in the form of a bullet through the heart. <laughs> you and Al. You, yeah, Al the accomplice, turns out. Al the accomplice. For me, Al was a shopkeeper, and someone was trying to steal from him, and so I decided to step in and help. And it resulted in both of our deaths while holding on to the ancient coins that brought us to the underworld. Of course, of course. And so I, I thought that, I, I was actually surprised when yours was different than mine. Charon's baubles. <laughs> Orbles. Orbles? Orbles. My favorite part of the Karen conversation is when Al comes back and she just does a hard shift and it's like, <laughs> Al! <laughs> you mustn't and tell please, Al. You must not tell Al. Who is right here? Hey, how's it going? Hey, Al! <laughs> just a, a great shift. I love that every moment. Yeah. And that's, uh, so that conversation in, in, that could take place in either ending two or three, which aren't considered the canon true ending. So you kind of then get the indication that, yeah, the gods are afoot here. The the mythologies that we've come to learn about are at play. Uh, so what is in this temple at the precipice of the Forgotten City? The four obelisks collected, one for Pluto, one for Hades, one for Osiris, and one for Nurgle. All the four respective known gods of the underworld. What, uh, what lies in wait? That. Pluto. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> aliens. Ancient aliens, pretty much. I was not ready for it. <laughs> Just dump it on them. Just dump it on them. <laughs> yeah, it's aliens. It's fucking aliens. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Like, a part of me should have assumed for some reason, just because that's the... It feels typical at this After, point to say it was aliens. <laughs> just, just 
I still haven't digested it. I beat the game last night. We're recording the day after I finished the game here. I was, after the hermit conversation, I was fully expecting, because the hermit, there are moments where you're talking about the nature of morality, and he goes, well, but what you just said is not right, and you contradicted, and wouldn't you say that this and that? And I was just rolling my eyes at the whole thing, like, okay, I get it, Uh uh-huh. So I was prepared to walk through those doors at the temple at the precipice of the mountain and just be confronted with, by the way, you're in a video game and none of it matters. Aren't you Aren't you so smart? You didn't even think about it, huh? What is morality anyway? We fooled you. No, it's aliens. It's aliens. No, it's just straight up aliens. Pluto is an alien. His wife, Persephone, is also an alien who loves humans. They take on humans' forms, and thus they take on human morality and sense and emotions. And they're intoxicated by it, which I found yeah. was fascinating. God's intoxicated by the human experience. Cool. Alien gods. I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't see it coming, and I think that... Uh, I thought it was interesting that you could go into depth on some of the the gray areas. Although... When you, I was watching Jimmy beat the game yesterday, and we didn't really spend a lot of time, um, kind of uh, asking him about all these edge cases and um, having him elaborate on the golden rule. Um, but I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. What do you think, Jonah? So, the the payoff for me comes actually with the lead up. So you've placed all of the uh, slabs in this obelisk and you are now entering this you know off off limits zone it is very clearly the like the the rise the, the climax of the story and if you are not careful or if you are just rushing through as i did with the sprinter you'll go up to the first door and realize that you have to uh, match the architecture type in the room with the uh, version of the of the god of the underworld so like I don't. I don't even remember the order. Uh, it's like uh, it start. I think it starts with Pluto or uh, Hades. Um, so you are starting to piece together now that actually these spaces in the game with the different styles and different people like are 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 coalescing into one. And you open that final door to this Star Trekian, this <laughs> bright white and blue. Uh, uh, you know, sort of impasse, this sort of uh, Star Wars like long stretch into uh, the the throne room, essentially, and it's like you just have to imagine what the writers were thinking when they were thinking this is going to be the ultimate embodiment of sort of the 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 we're, we're the, go- the highest like deity in the game so far, the highest like we're actually going to put him in a chair. And he can't look the same as all of the. Uh, he can't look like any of the, uh, you know, ide- ideals of what a Hades or a Pluto or anything like that would look like. It's not classical at all. They went totally left field, <clears throat> and aliens, but they did it in a way that was so hammy. They could have done just about anything in that room to make it stand out, and they went with like the silliest possible space and like like visage of the god of the underworld. Alien god in so great. form. Like they didn't they didn't hold back at all. They could have been so much more reserved with the way that they portrayed it. And I can understand why it's this room is probably considered I mean I don't know if you guys would agree with this but 
I think this room is probably the most polarizing. Whether you liked it or not is like kind of mm -hmm. uh, depends on how you feel about this sort of self-aware and like goofy side of the game. It really is one of the goofiest things that they try to pull off. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, it, it worked because I'm still thinking about it. And I watched uh, everyone's reaction or at least uh, uh, Dale, I watched your reaction and just the, the the laugh that we got out of it at that moment. Yeah. It was, it's priceless. Those are the sorts of things that, that it is a twist, sort of, sort of. But, like, it, that twist could have happened in so many different, you know, ways. The way they went with it, I I, I just, I got to hand it to them for, for make, making a good laugh out of yeah. it. And then continuing that momentum throughout the rest of the finale. Like, good, silly, fun moments that bring you closer to the characters. Uh, it was what great. more could you ask for? He is the ultimate debate me bro, dude. Oh, true. The golden rule is just <laughs> change my mind. And you can try. You can try, can't you? Like, well, you were doing this and that's not right. Oh, is it now? But that person was about to do this. Didn't you think of that? <laughs> I, I, I do, Before we get into, like, his arguments, I do want to shout out one of my favorite moments when, like, Persephone is, like, mind reading to you. Like, just keep him talking, and, you like, you look at her, and then he's like, hey, uh, stop looking at my medically sealed wife. <laughs> you linger too long. That was funny. Just stop looking. Stop eye-fucking her. Just stop it. She's obviously beautiful. I get it. I, did you, were you, were any of you able to uh, debate him and defeat no. him in debate? I'm sure there's an I, achievement I did not, for that. So I was wondering if it's possible because I so my even as the sprinter, you you at some point you exit this uh, area, um, and you're under fire. And I died so many times. This is like the flower thing again, where it's like I should not have struggled so hard with the archers here, but I got to talk to him plenty and pretty much exhaust his dialogue trees. I'm not sure what the right answers <laughs> are to really. I don't know if you can cause a paradox. I mean, it'd be amazing if you could cause a paradox in that very moment that you're speaking with him. I think that they're, this is, as the canon ending, they want you to uh, follow it through the way it was intended. But uh, if there is a way to do that, I need to know. I need, I, I'll, I'll look it up on a guide. I'll okay. YouTube it, whatever. You don't need to YouTube it whatsoever. I won okay. the debate. Hey. And it goes back to what the philosopher uh, kind of says. You essentially need to pick apart the very fact that he is treating uh, okay the golden rule is bad in this game and like i think it's funny that it's called the golden rule when we in society have something called the golden rule do unto others what you want to do uh, that you yeah. want them to do to yourself yada yada that is how you convince him you basically say hey if Ju jupiter was treating you this way wouldn't you hate that and you have to like break them down so many times that basically go, oh shit, I should follow the actual golden rule. Which is mind your own business. And so that's just basically treat others the way you want to be treated. That's it. That's really all you need to convince them of. And it's, I think, very interesting that the game is throughout. You're being told constantly about the golden rule, the golden rule. And it's never the golden rule we are familiar with. Until you get to the end of the game where you need to explain the actual golden rule that we have as a society. That's pretty cool. I, I, wow. Yeah, it, it, it was just something that I thought was very, <laughs> it was very fascinating because I was like, oh, 
So what he really needs to hear is, stop treating us like little worms because the guy above you can treat you like a little worm, and you wouldn't like that. Yeah. This is so interesting. Tur- I, turns I, I, out. Such a crazy long dialogue tree, and I never found this. Like, <laughs> And I did it multiple times because I died frequently. I just never, <laughs> never eked out this. Uh, is it a hidden dialogue option that opens up after you press him in the... In, in, on the right things or you, something? You just have to do, yeah, you have to do the right combination of arguments. And you, you can fully debate him and just win. I assume you all have uh, uh, murdered his wife. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, showed the crown and been like, I'll do it again, goddammit. Yeah, this is the ending I got, the psycho ending. So are there are there multiple endings in the true ending, then, in a sense? Or... I mean, it's just the ones we have laid out. You can either convince him of uh, the golden rule, like the real one, or you can threaten him. Yeah, right. It's the kind of ending where it, it would it forks out, but ultimately rejoins back at the same sequence at the end, which we all, I think, yeah. found to be uh, novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the ending. The museum. <laughs> the museum. Al brings you to a museum and says, "Hey, I have people who want to meet you. It's been it's been a year since our little little misadventure. Let's uh let's meet some familiar faces." This is and after every... you get out and and yep. Pluto's finished and whatever, and you go back to the same kind of river end sequence that you got with endings two and three. If you got endings two and three, and for a moment I was like, "Oh, huh, that was it." And then it does a one year later. We in, you're here with Al at the museum. And because of the ending that I got with Al, I was like, what are we here to case the place? Is this another robbery? Let's get it, Al. (laughs) (laughs) But no. Just back to stealing. Al introduces you to, first and foremost, the man himself. Here's Galerius in this, the modern era. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) (laughs) Caron brought everyone back to life, but in your timeline, and gave them a fuck ton of money to live their lives. It was it was not what I was expecting. Again, with aliens or <laughs> a one year after freaking National Lampoon conclusion <laughs> style thing. You can ask each character, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? And they'll give you their end credits scroll. Galerius now adopted a nice lifestyle at home, having married Equita. The two seek to raise two kids, and Galerius is going to run for local office. Some bullshit like that. <laughs> it was really interesting, actually. And I read through a few, but not all of them. Yeah, w- w- was there any that standed out to y'all? Like, one that you really liked? Or didn't like, Theseus. maybe? Theseus, yeah, I thought the same thing. His little bit is so tongue-in-cheek. So just to summarize, Dezius is rich and well-off now, just like everyone else. Um, He um, essentially asks you for investing advice on what to do next because you are sort of... So at this point in the game, you are kind of revered as the Oracle, right? I don't know if you're ever called the Oracle in the city itself, but now they, you know, history shows that you did this. And you are this this oracle you did figure. You're the good guy. And so Dezius, who has uh, removed the barricades on some sort of uh, ancient sort of uh, uh, like uh, fainting bed sort of uh, bench sort of thing. I don't even remember. 
Um, he's it's on display in the museum. Right. You know, a do not touch barrier. Right. He's he's pulled these uh, red uh, ropes down and is is lounging very casually on this. He asks you for investing advice, and your options are like DVDs and print media, and I forget the third one. Obviously, like really bad investment options. And no matter which one you say, he will say, "Oh, of course, I was just gonna do that myself." Yeah, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna go home and invest or whatever. I'm gonna put all my money into DVD rentals. Yeah, that is, I was on the floor laughing with that one. Uh, especially just with how silly Dezius's character is, how greedy he is. And this is like the one last comeuppance that you have on him is sending him off on the wrong path. I really liked the touch that the offspring of Sentius, who, fun touch, we learn that Sentius is the only person remaining in the Forgotten City, frozen as a golden <laughs> statue, consciously alive, living out eternity in, in paralyzed state. Awesome. He got what he wanted. got what he wanted. Uh, both of his daughters have immediately changed their names, which I, I thought was cool. Yep. I would. I do find it interesting that Rufius and Virgil like live together, end up together, and are in love. I don't think I spoke to them. Yeah, they they are. You know, they're married and they're just living living in a villa. Huh. Rufius just needed a rheumatism cure to get the stick yep. out of his ass, I guess, and put a dick or in, in there. It. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Switch sticks. Switch sticks. Let's talk about Persepina? Proserpina. Proserpina. The Groman Greek, Greek, Groman, Groman Greek, one of those. Roman. Roman. Persephone is the Greek version. I get them mixed up. You know, that was a good theme of the game. Like, hey, we're just stealing. And I thought, oh, thank <laughs> God. They acknowledge it. <laughs> but I, which um, God am I thanking? <laughs> <laughs> Thank one of them. I, it, she, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about her. <laughs> Really, she was she was such a major part of the game in the whispers, which mm-hmm. is revealed that and very heavily hinted at throughout the game, but confirmed at the final end. Yeah, I was the one talking to you the whole time, guiding you, and is the one that created the spell too, the time travel spell, and gave it to Sentius in order to yes. like constantly do the loop in order to like save everyone. She is responsible for that magic and witchcraft, and we only get. A brief moment of conversation with her before. Before congratulations. Congratulations. Before Neon Genesis ending. <laughs> I was so taken aback by that. I was thinking like, oh, Perserpina, you're going to talk about how you know great it is to just, no, no, no. Nope. Hey, remember all of the golden statues in the city? Like all of them, every single one? Here they are. <laughs> and everyone clapped. Yes. I I find it interesting that like all of her motivation is never explained to us really by her in a weird way. Like we get some of that at the end, but like all of her background, all of her story is told through just from Pluto? From Pluto, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Pluto was a genuine lover but just an asshole. At the same time, he yeah, did know he just his wanted woman. To, yeah, he wanted to hermetically wanted to seal her his wife. Yeah. yeah. My wife is very mortal. Please seal her in a box. <laughs> fragile, do not drop. Fra- fragile, <laughs> do not open. Do not shoot bow through. 
should we wrap up with some last thoughts on this before some audience questions? I think that's a wonderful idea, Faden. All right, I'll go first. Here we go. I just really am taken aback that the solution to the golden rule is teaching the golden rule. I mean, that's just it's just funny to me. I think um, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, this game <laughs> club is a fun idea. We're playing some fun video games and having some good conversation. And to uh, put it all in a podcast is kind of a crazy, cool, neat idea. Uh, as far as Forgotten City goes... I'm going to remember that city. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Z money. It was a cute kind of like, it was a bit, um, what's the word? I liked how amateurish it was. Um, I, I think that it, it, it does some really good things with like, it's a dialogue in a way where, you know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, to try to be cinematic or artistic. And um, this game, I think, is happy to be um, a little less polished and a little more um, silly. And I, I really like that about it. I, I still have a lot more questions. I think I might do a solo playthrough on my own um, because, you know, after hearing everyone's thoughts about it and... Um, seeing a decent bit of the game myself, it's, uh, I, I, I do think that it's, uh, recommendable. Um, I wonder why it's called the Forgotten City. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if any of you have any thoughts on that, but that's something that's been sticking with me and I haven't come up with an answer yet, but overall a pretty good game and kudos to three guys behind it. And the fact that they, I read that they, this mod was, you know, kind of, originally made in 2015 and what's that six years later they they've got it published on all the major systems and in lots of accolades like it, that's i'm happy for them yeah jonah yeah it's 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 a marvel that this game exists in the form that it does uh we are so lucky because the writing is uh so cute and clever and interesting at every turn uh there there are some drawbacks to how tongue-in-cheek it can get and uh for a story that begins feeling that it is taking itself so seriously um it really uh, uh travels a long way from that starting point um i'll just say like uh you are gonna be you should not have listened to this podcast all the way through to this point if you intend on playing the game <laughs> but I think the thing that, that it has changed my presupposition about what a mod scene game or like uh, an adaptation from uh, another engine or from another game, like it has opened my eyes that, oh, that can, you can make a game in Skyrim and it would be a novel thing. It, and it is a novel thing. Um, and it can build into something so great. Uh, it really is a triumph for this small team. Um, I'll, I'll say that like, you know, if you like narrative experience in games, if you want to see what games can do with narrative that no other medium can, like Forgotten City is a really good touchstone for like, uh, all right, this is this is a story, um, but it's going to take some turns. It's going to uh, use interactivity and branching paths and all these all these like very common things that you'd be familiar with if you play RPGs. Um, it's going to do all those things in such a unique and, and inspiring way. Um, and yeah, just clever, witty, 
and silly all the way throughout. It's like, really, you can't ask for much more. Also, a game that is very digestible. I think I played it in the course of two or three days, um, and I, I didn't want to put it down. Like, It's a game where you are going to spend so much time facing NPCs and listening to dialogue trees, but it made it so compelling. Uh, you know, as someone who, and I'm not a person who's played Skyrim. I, I, I generally, I've only played a couple, uh, you know, big RPGs, big Bethesda, you know, sort of, you know, CRPG or first person RPGs. Um, so to fall in love with a game like this is just like a, a real treat. And I'm glad it exists. I'm, I'm glad it's, uh, you know, very successful too. It was my uh, game of the year uh, after I had played it. I think I liked it even a little bit more than Metroid Dread for 2021. Uh, which is saying something because I really love Metroid Dread 2. Um, uh, it, it's kind of a three-way toss-up between this Dread and, and Chicory, uh, which uh, maybe we'll talk about at some point. It's definitely a great game. Um, but yeah, really, really, really awesome game. All right. How about we get into some audience questions? What do the people ask? Who wants to take the first one? Jcom looking to wonder... Has anyone played the Skyrim mod before playing the full game? And Jacob, I can tell you that by saying I have never finished playing the regular Skyrim, so I never once thought about modifying it. Uh, no. I, um, myself, I have played the mod before. I played five minutes of it, and I was like, meh. And so it actually made me reticent to uh, try this game, and I'm so glad we did. I had I have I I don't even know if I've even played a minute of Skyrim. I'm it's a blind spot for sure. Uh, I I I just no, I you're don't not missing fall out. into open world games. I am uh, gonna out myself as one of the uh, Breath of the Wild like eh, I'm here and there on it. I don't love it. Uh, I just don't like open worlds. Uh, but there is something really cool when you pare that open world down into something so compact, like Fairon City does. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. I, I, I've promised one of my good friends that I will give Skyrim a, 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 the college try, but I know in my heart of hearts, it's not my jam. So the fact that I love this so much is just like a testament to, you know, what, how different it's approaching the, the RPG, the, the first person sort of immersive RPG. My advice, do not play Skyrim, play Morrowind <laughs> instead. Uh, okay <laughs> so i have game pass so i can play morrowind i can play oblivion i actually i've played about five minutes of the original elder scrolls arena because that is a free game Whoa. that you can download on a windows pc uh from bethesda's website uh <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be a purist and say you need to play all five elder scrolls games before you <laughs> play a forgotten city there i i think it's also important to note that i don't think there are any like really direct references or there's there's if there is it went way over my head um, do you guys know if it's this just game, game mechanics? Ha- just mechanically, it's similar. I mean, that that says yeah. it all. Then you should just play this game, spe- even if you don't like Skyrim. That's what I'm here to tell you. Z money never touched Skyrim. Uh, of course, I've seen it, and uh, like Jonah, don't really get all of the appeals. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, you know, I, based on things I've read about this game, a lot of conventions are the same. Like the uh, the the zooming in on the face and kind of the the, the lack of expression uh, compared to other games like that you know try to really animate faces you know you kind of just have moving lips and uh, dead eyes a little bit and I don't mind that at all um, overall yeah uh, 
I would say that I uh, I have not played the Skyrim mod or Skyrim to answer the question. Um, okay. Do you want to read the next question, Z Money? Sure thing. This is from the Traveler. How do you think basing this game off a mod of another successful game has changed the impact of the game on audiences versus if it was just released as a standalone concept? No Skyrim connection. Uh, my thinking about this is, you know, this is really kind of like the power of grassroots in, um, you know, trying to make a game. Uh, I think that you you really can, you can start pretty small and if you stick with it, you can achieve great things. And uh, it, without the mod, I don't think that the three people behind this game would, would be where they are. So I see the mod as integral. Um, I think that it's a uh, question said, how does it change the impact of the game? I think that really it's just, you know, you kind of had, you had a group of people who, who may or may not have been very invested in the original mod, but enough where you, you probably had a sense of community. And, and that was really the proving grounds for this becoming what it eventually did and getting other companies to buy into it. And, uh, you know, I think that, yeah, it's basically, I, I don't think this game would exist if it weren't a mod to begin with. Yeah, for, yeah, like I said earlier, just it made me so nervous to try this game because of that connection. And after hearing so many good things about it, I was like, well, might, might as well try it. And might as well do our first Game Club game <laughs> as a... Woo. And uh, glad I did. What are mod tools, if not in a way to digest and understand how a video game engine works and thus make your own connections and start working on your own games? I think uh, I think it's a good example of how good things come from maybe unexpected places. Uh, I think back to uh, story mods for games like Amnesia: The Dark Descent. There were some st- similar mods for that, where they would use the same assets in the same environments, but tell their own scary stories as to why there's some meat golem chasing you through the dark halls of a castle and wherever that game took place. Um, but uh, this more broadly and more creatively removes itself entirely from Skyrim and, and creates uh, its own setting, its own unique area. I think that's a really cool example of uh, a way that creativity drives good ideas. I think there's also this sort of presupposition in this question that games built within or using the tools of other games are somehow like inextricably tied together, uh, which in a technical sense, there, there are ways in which they are. But uh, the PC, the, the world of PC gaming is like so innately tied to mod scenes, especially when it comes to first person shooters uh, way back in the day. So if you're if you're one of those people that sees oh this was a mod oh this this wasn't made using unreal engine or unity this was made using some sort of uh hackneyed tool that i that i don't think can create a real game or something like that like that is just a really bad mindset to take into specifically this game because it is so different but really all games and there's like a wealth of uh, like half-life in particular like is a great example of how much was built upon that game like the studio gearbox like kind of had its start like building mods for half-life 
uh, a Valve game and like just embrace that sort of uh, uh, I, I don't even want to call it something less than it is like to say oh it's punk rock to make a game in another engine oh it's so indie it's so oblique and strange and mystify you know, there's no re- reason to mystify that uh, tools are tools um, and games are incredibly complex things uh, so using it's almost like saying you don't trust certain art if it's on a certain type of paper or a certain type of canvas like it's uh, illegitimate for some reason no just 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 keep in mind that like uh there are a team of people who received a ton of funding because their initial concept their proof of work was so uh so good uh, and so telling of what they could do as a team and i think they nailed it with this i think you know it's it's a triumph so uh just just approach all games with the concept of it being unique and original and then come to your own conclusions like i'm sure there are probably real skyrim devotees who saw something in this game that we didn't or maybe like there or on a mechanical level or on a narrative level but like if at the end of the day does that really matter does did you lose something by not having a i certainly didn't lose anything from not having a familiarity with skyrim before playing so i would say try to try to approach it as a unique piece and then like build uh, build along as you go and as you play a game that's this short you can play the whole thing in a couple days like i think it's even just uh, if you have these feelings like play this game and and tell tell me that it's doing exactly what skyrim did or you know i think we are all echoing the same thing it's it's a very unique thing and we're happy that it is uh taken on life in its own sort of uh publishing and, and its own engine and everything this is from Kyle, or am I? Um, they ask, do you think having a subscription service like Xbox All Access with 100 plus options degrades the individual game experience as you have less invested into the game when you aren't paying for it individually? So does Game Pass make you feel like you have uh, like less of an individual experience to the game that you're playing, pretty much? That's an interesting question. Listen, I just think there's too many games. <laughs> I think that's all it gets down to. Like, I don't have enough time to play all of these games. Mm-hmm. Z-Money? Yeah. Um, I don't think that for me that the monetary relationship I have to uh, a game or a product, broadly speaking, has much bearing on my investment. Um, I find that I still often buy. Okay, so I've never, um, I've never done Game Pass or a subscription service, um, and I usually buy games physical. Uh, I'm, I'm a physicalist, I guess, and I've occasionally downloaded free games through things like various, you know. Um, uh, like game clients or online marketplaces when they run promos where they're giving you a game for free because they're trying to um, improve engagement with their platform. So I guess, you know, I've, I can consider a few different ways that I've, um, you know, I could relate to a game as a, as a thing that one pays for. And yeah, I think that it's, it's really, uh, in my experience, more a matter of, do I feel motivated to play this game in the first place? Because it's sometimes it's hard to be motivated to play games that I bought because I, you know, I thought, oh, this is a really great game. 
why did I not say much of Luigi's Mansion 3, even though I bought it? And, you know, I think that it's kind of like, it, it's it's a conundrum because there's an interest there, um, but I can't really, I can't really pinpoint why why some games stick and why some games don't. I think that overall, there's a kind of choice paralysis that can occur when you've got a lot of games in front of you, which goes back to what Dale said. But overall, yeah, I think that uh, if anything, you know, if you're excited and motivated to play games, something like Game Pass really can just, I think, maybe increase your investment because you kind of, you can enter a state of wonder where you're, you know, a kid in a candy shop about games. But that's just not not how I've been relating to games a lot lately. But my my goal in 2022 is to play more. And I'm excited to do that in this Jonah? So I am the unapologetic Game Pass pusher uh, as far as folks that I know. So so just just to be clear, who has Game Pass here? Z-Money, you don't? I do not. I do. I do. So, so Dale, you just jumped on board recently. I just jumped on recently, and it's pretty great. So, and, and here's, there's a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum when it comes to value with digital games right now. Uh, Steam is still a very high value proposition. Like there are constant sales, constant promotions. There are reasonably too many games. Uh, as as someone who kind of understands publishing on Steam, it just takes a hundred dollars and a little bit of time to publish a Windows PC executable onto Steam. Uh, regardless of qual, almost regardless of quality, I'll say um, there's a lot of garbage on Steam. There's a lot of uh, great games on Steam. It is kind of the Wild West. Almost anybody can publish there. Um, game Pass, I think, having a curated selection of games, uh, which will inevitably get much larger and larger over time, is a great value proposition. Um, I feel like it's definitely worth the money if you're a holdout on Game Pass. You're just not sure. Um, I'd say give it a try. There is this element of not uh, finding investment in a lot of the properties or a lot of the games. Um, like Bethesda's huge on Game Pass. Uh, so if you like those games, uh, let me tell you, you, you got your work cut out for you. You have all the fallouts. You have all the Skyrim or all the <laughs> Elder Scrolls. Uh, it's like an unfathomable amount of hours, even though it's a curated, very pared down list. Um, but as someone who is highly in tune with indie uh, developing scenes, they're doing these deals with independent publishers uh, and developers that are really lucrative uh, games that make their way onto Game Pass. Uh, I think and I don't have numbers uh, for this, but seem to uh, kind of guarantee uh, critical, not critical success, but uh, financial success. Uh, they're paying uh, uh, equitably to teams of, of various sizes, uh, you know, they own Bethesda. They don't own uh, Modern Storyteller or Fellow Traveler. Um, but it seems like these are uh, uh, folks are willing to get in on it. Um, I think it's a good thing overall um, in that it is a great value proposition. Uh, and I think this is really the first subscription service for games that has, uh, in my mind, like had a meaningful impact on me as a consumer and I think on many, many as a consumer because of the breadth and depth that they are able to provide. Um, I I don't find myself having trouble getting into games on Game Pass. I find myself falling into more games on Game Pass. Um, I have a pretty beefy gaming laptop. 
I've run just about uh, everything I've tried to run on it uh, flawlessly. Um, these are games that are you know verifiable hits usually, if not like new uh, exciting indie releases. So yeah, that's great. That's good. And and the fact that it sounds like it's equitable for everyone involved is a good thing. Uh, I think overall gaming is going to move towards subscriptions and that is going to i think i think our mileage is going to vary depending on the quality of the services like i don't know if we'll ever see a nintendo subscription service that's actually worth the money um they they currently Mm. provide (laughs) uh nintendo entertainment system games and super nintendo entertainment system games on the switch which is part of your uh included with your price for playing um online games it's like that is so far from what Game Pass is doing. Game Pass is such a, a, an interesting and bespoke catalog of great titles. Uh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know how you can argue against it. It seems like it's the way we're going. Um, I just have to hope that for creators, for the the, the games that are showing up on these services, that they're uh, you know making a, a good business decision, or that they're, that the uh, it is equitable for them, so that we can continue to see these games reach these platforms. I think that's an overall positive. Um, I think Game Pass just, I think Microsoft just revealed their numbers for how many people are subscribed. It's something like 20 or 25 million. And 25 I, million. I'm not sure what, so gaming is like one of the biggest forms of media. I really don't know where that number puts us as far as like if, in the roadmap um, where subscription gaming takes over. Uh, could it be one year from now? Uh, I think if Sony comes up with, uh, if PlayStation comes up with a, a reasonable counter to what Game Pass is offering, <laughs> we're really gonna fall what down they have the slope. Spider Man, <laughs> you know, I and I don't. I'm able to play all these games, and I don't have a new Xbox either. Xbox is being at least yeah. Game Pass is a pretty generous thing for those with PCs and who primarily play games on PCs. I I am able to have an extremely robust catalog of games between just pc and switch like i'm very happy with that it's great so i really don't i don't want it to change but i also am very cautious of and i think uh there might be a question about the uh purchase of activision by microsoft i think there are going to be a lot of tacked on sort of concerns with uh how big these things can get and what that might mean for um what that might actually mean for uh, you know, creators and and getting good gaming experiences. You know, as as a follow yeah, up, let me be the contrarian on oh, all oh, of this. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Aiden. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll be I'll be the downer. I think Game Pass, while great right now, in ten fifteen years, is going to be one of the worst things to have happened in gaming ever of all time. <laughs> With the flattening and monopolistic attitudes that Microsoft has always had as a tech company, not as a gaming company. I think their reach is going to get so far and we're going to have zero political action in on this and that we are just going to get into a situation where only with like three to four publishers actually publish games and they all have their own streaming services and they're all going to cost us, I don't know, like $50 a month. Like it's going to rise and it's going to be... Oh, so you imagine it's going to go the same way as TV, basically. Netflix. Yeah. No, basically as Netflix, I think. Where Netflix is constantly jacking up the price on us and not even producing the same amount of quality as they used to. Yeah. So I was um I was thinking about streaming services when you were when you were talking about your point, Jonah, and um twenty five million sounds like a lot. And I wanted to check what, what streaming numbers like um 
are for subscriptions. And, and Netflix has 213 million subscribers. And that really makes Game Pass seem like a, you know, not a drop in the bucket, but not it's not even close to half full. So it makes me think that there is going to be a lot of a lot of growth and that you know, I'm not going to try to predict the future on it, but I do think that it's um it's possible that this consolidation could be could be bad and you get to a point where, you know, instead of instead of buying games when you want them, it's it's like Faden says, you you know, you spend 200 bucks on all your streaming services for for the month and you just have access to any game you want and it's like you're you know that's the equivalent of in the past you know 10 to 15 years buying buying anywhere between two and four games a month so it changes it's it changes and it stays the same in some ways maybe i i'm not sure about the netflix figure just because like you know there are netflix subscribers who our lifers, you know, from the DVD era, Netflix is so ingrained that Game Pass, I think it's a matter of time uh, and to see a rise to, uh, I don't actually know how many years it's been in operation, but I, I want to say that 25 million is a pretty significant number just because uh, it is uh, not zero. I mean, try to think about other services like um, just online subscriptions to play games online. Um, those are the sorts of things that I would like to compare, like see who's playing, paying for Xbox Gold or PlayStation, uh, whatever their service is called, and then see how many people are paying pay, paying for Game Pass. Um, I, I, that's kind of the, the other gaming numbers are what I would really want to compare this to. And also revenue would be important. Um, I think the deals are going to get worse for creators. Uh, smaller teams are going to get paid less and less and less for subscription deals as they continue to proliferate and as uh, competitors arise. Um, so in a way, yeah, I, I, I say it's a good thing as a consumer at the moment, but I think there will be that point uh, as it always happens where uh, canceling a subscription becomes more of a political or more of a sort of uh, aspirational choice uh, to change your own, change your own preferences and to try to in- impact the market. Um, as an individual but with your wallet um but yeah i i, I do think uh it's it's a what do they say get in on a, get in on the ground floor like that's kind of where game uh, pass is right now with the size yeah. and scope and shape it's a good deal but yeah i think it is going to snowball to a point where uh even if the value is like monetarily good, if you have access to so many games, it's not going to be worth it for the impact on the industry that it might have. I think um, this conversation leads directly into our last and final question for today. And it's from Immundi. What changes do you think would yield the greatest improvement to video games at large? And let's try to keep this one like one to two sentences. Mm -hmm. Like really short. What a blanket question. Yeah, what a blanket question. So we're going to do a blanket prescription. Dale? Um, remove any and all crunch time from development cycles. Uh, unionized development, maybe even. Z-Money? Uh, more podcasts, I think. Uh, but but more seriously, I, I think that... Uh, you know, that's, that's a hard question to answer. And I think that more people making games is probably good. And... Um, more 
I, you know, I think that that video games are an amazing thing, but I do think that the you know more of a kind of a, uh, a critical culture, maybe uh, like a a culture, a video game culture that is intentional and um, wants to be a little more self-aware and mature with the medium. Uh, I don't know if I expect that to happen, but I do think that I think it's possible, and I think that that games are games are worth it. Um, and you know, this is this is bigger than toys, and that's what it was, I think, for so much of its history. And you can say that video games are kind of amazing toy, and I think that's that's fair. But I also think that it's a little reductive. And I think that yeah, ultimately, um, video games at large would benefit from. Uh, not growing up, but um, trying to do trying to do more and better um, among the people who play games and how we how we relate to this uh, form of entertainment that's really you know an amazing uh, way to recreate your experience with people in the world. Those two sentences had a lot of commas, huh? Oh, it's semicolons. <laughs> semicolons everywhere. <laughs> semicolons. Yeah, semicolons everywhere. I agree with the use of semicolons. Jonah? All right. I will say the change that is currently underway and is most important is the proliferation and accessibility of game-making tools. Um, as an aside to that, I think things like Roblox and things like um uh, you know uh, even just just game maker studio which is uh, you know uh, the tool that i use to make games these are very uh these are tools that have become very accessible and are impacting creators in a uh, at a point in time you know much younger much more they're much more readily available um i think those you know more tools and more access to tools and more demystifying of how games are actually made. I think those are the more important things that are going to impact uh, that are going to most positively impact uh, where games are going. Uh, But I don't, don't particularly like Roblox and I've never touched Roblox. (laughs) That is just the first example that came to mind. Um, But something similar, like like the next generation is going to have a Roblox. Next generation is going to see something like that. So um, dreams and hopefully better, (laughs) you know, dreams. Nintendo has a, a game game builder garage. Um, oh, they botched that PC. so bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, Nintendo is going to, they're going to do that. That's that's all they know how to do. Uh, Nintendo won't do Nintendo's it. Nintendo's going to fail. It will be, a, a, you know, someone outside, someone like a Roblox, a, a unique a unique <laughs> vision is going to, you know, propel this, I think. Roblox might be it. Maybe it's just those, those creators have to uh, mature and age themselves as people, and they're going to take games where we we have never seen games go okay as i i think all great points all around as the um resident communist i say dismantle capitalism nice (laughs) dale do you want to take us out let's get out of here podcasters all right thanks for tuning in to on it radio it's uh not actually broadcast radio fun fact uh but it is fun little Fun little time we had here. Game Club. Next month, we're looking at playing a new game. That game is called... Nobody Saves the World. Yeah, we changed it to the last minute, so (laughs) I totally forgot. No longer Bastion. I I don't like Bastion. We'll get to the Bastion later. (laughs) I don't like Bastion, so I'm cool with this. (laughs) 
is there anywhere like does anyone want to shout out like plug anything of theirs? shout out a social media link to follow people at no stay away <laughs> yeah uh listen to us here and maybe join the discord if you're cool only but that'll, you know, that'll ask... be in the episode description yeah yeah we monitor that dale shit. you should Have play a... us out uh give us a sample to to our loyal followers of uh the the theme that you're working on oh here we go there it is <laughs> i was thinking you should do it with uh, your voice <laughs> yeah do it with your mouth <laughs> Oh, um, shoot! I closed out the window. I forget. I forget how it goes. But it was. Uh, it was pretty good. It was like uh, <laughs> <laughs>